you want to testify from the crow's nest? You don't have a choice now, do you? Amen. He has the power to cut my microphone on, off and on. I didn't, I didn't open your message, but I saw the first headline of it when it came up on the phone a while ago. And uh, tell me what. Amen. Good. Now, was that the first time that you personally led a soul to Christ? Is that right? Isn't that wonderful? So Stephen Yance personally led a soul to Christ tonight. Amen. That's great. And it's great that you were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And God put him in your path. And, and you knew that. And stopped what you was doing and got out and, and told him the gospel. That's good stuff, isn't it? Amen. Thank the Lord. And uh, I rejoice in that. Take your Bibles tonight, if you would, and turn with me, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 6. <clears throat> Once you have done that, I want you to put a marker in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want you to go with me to Ezekiel chapter 44. So mark 2 Corinthians. Uh, put, uh, put, some, uh, put your gum wrapper in there or something. And uh, then go to Ezekiel and chapter number 44. Ezekiel and chapter number 44. I'm going to try to take a, an, an Old Testament chapter here tonight, Ezekiel 44, and I want to try to make it uh, practical for us tonight. <clears throat> uh, the, the chapter is filled with instructions for, uh, for priests. And uh, there's different lines of thought about uh, perhaps uh, this is, the setting is the millennial kingdom, and <clears throat> I'm not sure if I understand all uh, the prophetic um, <clears throat> um, setting of the chapter. I do know that it has immediate and practical application. 
And, uh, and I know that uh, though not everything in the Bible was written to us. Everything, according to Scripture, is for us. Amen? And uh, I believe we'll show that uh, by the time we get to the end of the message. And uh, uh, without your turning to it, I want to read a handful of Scriptures uh, to you. And, uh, and um, uh, I'm reading them uh, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. The Bible says... Uh, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation of royal priesthood. Keep that in mind. Uh, Revelation and chapter 1 verse number 6. And he hath made us kings and priests. And then Revelation chapter 5 verse number 10 and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, we're doing a lot of reading in the message. We're not going to read the text together tonight. But I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, privileges and expectations of priesthood. Privileges and expectations of priesthood. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, allow me to take what we uh, hold as uh, one of our uh, fundamental doctrines, Lord, uh, as Bible-believing Baptists, and, and try, Lord, to uh, bring some practical application of this great truth uh, to our lives. And remind us, Lord, while the world, uh, what we're talking about tonight, Lord, the world is minimizing. The, the idea of being set apart, Lord, the world minimizes it. And the lines are getting so fuzzy between the church and the world and the world of church. Help us to see it in such a clear way tonight that the God who never changes, the God who changes not, the same yesterday, today, and forever, still feels about sin the way he's always felt about it. And he has a right to expect us to be his and his exclusively. And so help us to see it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We take one Sunday and have for several years and have a, uh, uh, an emphasis on our Baptist heritage and uh, we have uh, uh, documents out in the, in the hallway and, and paintings and so forth to remind us uh, uh, that, uh, that our, our heritage as Bible-believing Baptists is a, is a biblical heritage. And uh, we, we, uh, I'm sure that you have heard it taught, been in this church any length of time, uh, unless you skipped that uh, second or third Sunday in October and the fall, uh, 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 or uh, sometimes in the spring. But we believe, uh, for example, number one, we believe in Bible authority. We believe that the old King James Bible is the divinely inspired, preserved Word of God uh, uh, for us today. And uh, that which was forever settled in heaven is given to us. And we hold it as our final authority in everything that we believe and practice. And by the way, the practice part is what separates us from evangelicals who believe salvation is you and I. But we believe more than that. We don't believe it just for doctrine. We believe it for living. Amen. And uh, that's where we're going tonight. Uh, we believe in uh, Baptist, the autonomy of the local church. In other words, the independent governance of a local church. We answer to the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and not to a, a synod and not to a denomination and certainly not to Rome and so forth. We believe, number three, in the priesthood of all believers. We'll come back to that, for that's our subject tonight. We believe in the two ordinances, the Lord's Supper and by, uh, believers' baptism. We believe in individual soul liberty. We believe in saved, baptized church membership. If you're going to be a member of the church, according to Acts chapter 2, they that gladly received his word were baptized 
And the same day we're added to the church. Amen. Church is not a club. It's a group of called out believers uh, who have professed their faith publicly by baptism. We believe in two offices, that of the uh, pastor and that of the deacon. We pastor understand uh, titles of elder and bishop and, uh, and, and pastor or shepherd uh, are referring to one office and three duties. And we believe in the office of the pastor and the office of the deacon and the membership. And uh, we don't believe in denominational secretaries. We don't believe in presidents and vice presidents. We don't believe in organizing beyond that. We believe uh, that uh, there are two offices ordained of God. And we believe, lastly, the state should not control the church. I say, and have for years, we believe in the separation of church and state. That's so misunderstood anymore. So let me give you a nutshell. The church uh, ought not try to run the, the government, and the government ought to stay out of the church's business. Amen? Amen. And so these are things we believe. But the priesthood, number three, uh, uh, the priesthood of all believers. We read a moment ago, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The doctrine of the priesthood of believers is the belief that all born-again believers have the privilege of direct access to God. That it is not necessary to go through any other human channel. The Old Testament priests stood between God and man and represented man to God. They offered the sacrifices and performed all of the ceremonial acts of worship. They were keepers or guardians, if you will, of the tabernacle and then later on of the temple. They would burn the incense and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifices upon the, upon the altar. But now then we know because of the, 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 the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, that you and I now have uh, direct access to God ourselves. We can go directly uh, to Him as a result uh, of being washed in the blood of the Lamb and being in right standing with God. We can go directly to the throne of grace. Wherefore, come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, Hebrews tells us. Matthew 27, Jesus, when He cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Notice it was torn from the top to the bottom. That, that veil in the temple was some 40 feet high, 15 feet wide. It was a thick curtain. You didn't, a man, a man couldn't tear it. A man couldn't tear it. Uh, but, but, but God reached down from heaven when Jesus finished the price, paid for our sins on Calvary and said it is finished. And God reached down and took that veil and tore it in two and said, come on in, amen. Direct access to God the Father. In Ephesians 2, 14 and 18, he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. I can get to the Father. Amen. I can get to the Father because of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 11 and 12, the Bible said, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. We have boldness and access. In Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oh, I'm so glad tonight that I don't have to go and confess my sins to man. I'm glad tonight I don't confess my sin to a priest. The Bible said we are kings and priests. We read it three times, maybe four times. We read that God has made us to be kings and priests. Amen. We believe, as the Bible teaches now, in the priesthood of all believers. We don't go through a man. We go directly to him. Amen. I'm so thankful for that tonight. However, that does not mean that we cannot learn something from the instructions that God gave to the Old Testament priesthood. The Bible said those things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Listen, we don't need to throw out the Old Testament. Amen. I understand, listen, I understand that we don't go through a priest, amen. I understand that we have direct access to God, amen, that we are kings and priests uh, uh, now then being born again by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But I think we can learn something from a God who never changes, who expected some things of his priests. And I think it reasonable then to assess that we expect some things of his priests today, amen. It's true. In Ezekiel chapter 44, follow with me, and I hope this will not seem laborious to you as we go through this passage, but I hope you'll stay with me and do your best to give your attention. In Ezekiel 44, the Bible said, then he brought me back. Now, Ezekiel, of course, the prophet is telling of this wonderful vision that the Lord gave him and the instructions that the Lord has given him. Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, which looketh toward the east, and it was shut. Then saith the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be shut. Because the glory of God had entered the temple through the eastern gate of the outer court, the prophet was told that no human being was considered worthy to enter by this gate. And thus, it was to be kept shut. Verse number three says, It is for the prince, the prince, he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate and shall go out by the way of the same. And it's real easy to see a shade of prophecy in that verse. I'm not certain about uh, the interpretation. I'll be honest with you about that. Uh, uh, but, uh, but I do know this, I, 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 whether or not this verse is referenced, I know one day Jesus Christ is coming in, amen. He's coming in from the East Coast cities on his throne there in Jerusalem, and that's certainly a wonderful truth. Now, verse number four, then brought he me, again, Ezekiel speaking, then brought he me the way of the north gate before the house, and I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell upon my face. And so God gives uh, 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 Ezekiel a vision of the glory of God. Uh, and uh, he says the instructions that are mingled here that uh, uh, you don't come in through the east because that's the way God's presence came in. But you come in and you can see. And he comes in uh, here through the north gate and, and he sees the glory of God and he falls upon his face. Oh, listen, that's what Isaiah did. That's what John did in Revelation chapter number one. I fell on their face as dead. And Isaiah said, woe is me for I'm undone. Oh, to come into the presence of God. People talk, I think, some, a little cavalier, a little casually about coming into the presence of God. If you do get in the presence of God, you will see God in his glory. And then next thing you will see yourself in your own depravity. 
And sometimes it seems we flaunt our depravity while we're singing about the presence of God. And that's a mismatch. Verse number 5. And the Lord said unto me, Son of man, mark well, and behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears all that I say unto thee concerning all the ordinances of the house of the Lord and all the laws therein, thereof. And mark well uh, uh, the entering in of the house with every going forth of the sanctuary. Verse number 6. And thou shalt say to the rebellious, even to the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, O ye, uh, o ye house of Israel, let it suffice you of all your abominations. In other words, enough of your filth. Enough of them. In that ye have brought into my sanctuary strangers, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary, to pollute it, even my house, when you offer my bread, the fat, and the blood, and they have broken my covenant because of all your abominations. And you've not kept the charge of mine holy things, but you have set keepers of my charge in my sanctuary for yourself. Thus said the Lord God, No stranger uncircumcised in heart nor uncircumcised in flesh shall enter into my sanctuary of any stranger that is among the children of Israel. The presence of God's glory in the temple meant that there were restrictions concerning those who would be allowed to enter into it. God did not want His temple to be defiled through the introduction of heathen practices. He says in that sixth verse, enough of it, enough of it. Suffice you all of all your abominations. He then goes on in these verses to give some uh, uh, specific uh, uh, disqualifications from priestly privileges. Uh, for example, he says in uh, verse, number, uh, uh, verse number 9, Thus saith the Lord, no stranger. No stranger. God, I believe God did not want someone in that place who would have divided loyalties. Uh, uh, Solomon uh, married uh, uh, some heathen gals uh, so that he could uh, make peace with heathen nations. And his, his loyalties were divided. For even Solomon, the wisest man ever lived, did outlandish women cause him uh, to go uh, and worship false idols, the Bible tells us. And what God is saying is, is I, listen, the, what's the great command? Love God with most of your heart. No, love God with what? All of your heart. All of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The, these were, uh, these uh, uh, priests were to be, uh, uh, verse 9, uh, no strangers, uncircumcised in heart, nor uncircumcised in uh, uh, flesh. What is he talking about? He's talking about those who would approach me, those who would come into my presence, those who would come boldly before the throne of grace uh, uh, should uh, be both outwardly and uh, inwardly separated unto me. And what, uh, uh, what circumcision was uh, to, the, to the Jewish person, that was an outward sign of a separation. And the prophet is saying, uh, God's telling the prophet, I don't want just people who, 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 who conform outwardly, but I want it to be inwardly as well as outwardly. God has given us, maybe uh, here in, in, the, in the New Testament church, God has given us some similar uh, uh, ordinances. Baptism, for example, representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How that we died with Christ, we're buried with Him. And the Bible said we, ru- we rise to walk in newness of life. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. Say it out. He's a what? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things. Listen, 
when you got saved, when God the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, the Bible says this is God's expectation of his children whom he calls kings and priests. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That means the old crowd, the old music, the old language, the old philosophies, the old sinful habits. Now all that's passed away and all things are become new. That's God's expectation. We have the Lord's Supper. would be uh, 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 perhaps what we could call a New Testament uh, uh, ordinance that uh, also illustrates how that we ought to be separated unto our God. For we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the Lord's Supper is a time of self-examination. Yes, we, we come and we outwardly, we did last Sunday, and outwardly we took of the unleavened bread and we took of the unfermented juice. And that was an outward symbol. But the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 11 that something ought to be going on on the inside when we take that juice and we take that bread. And the Bible said that's why it ought to be a time of self-examination. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, if you take that uh, in, a, in, a, in a casual manner and in, in, a, in an insincere or hypocritical manner, wanting to give the appearance outwardly of being in love and devoted to Christ while inwardly harboring known unconfessed sin. The Bible said that's why a bunch of my people are sick and some have even died an early death. Why? Because they came insincerely or unworthily, if you will. You see, God in the Old Testament wanted His priests not just to be outwardly set apart, but He wanted them to be inwardly set apart. And may I say, dear friend, you and I as kings and priests now with direct access to God the Father, He wants us as well not just outwardly to be separated. He wants us to be inwardly separated. We find in verse number 10, the Levites that are gone away far from me when Israel went astray which went astray away from me after their idols, they shall even bear their iniquity. He's talking about those who had backslidden into idolatry. Some of the, even the Old Testament priests themselves had gotten caught up in, in the idolatry that swept across the, the land. And, uh, and, uh, and here he, he, he calls them out. Uh, uh, he said, I want, I, you, you know how I won't serve in my temple? He said, I want those uh, who have no divided loyalties. I don't want somebody that's in love with this nation and in love with this, uh, this nation. I don't want somebody in love with that nation's gods and, and this nation's gods. He says, no, no strangers. And I don't want somebody that's, uh, 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 that's uh, inwardly, uh, is outwardly set apart but not inwardly set apart. And he said, I, 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 if somebody has uh, 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 committed spiritual uh, uh, adultery as, as the Bible describes it and, and idolatry, he said, uh, he said no, uh, 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 you don't come into my presence in that condition. In verse number 11, yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having charge at the gates of the house and ministering to the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people and they shall stand before them to minister unto them because they ministered unto them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. Therefore have I lifted up mine hand against them, saith the Lord God, and they shall bear their iniquity and they shall not come near unto me to do the office of a priest unto me, nor to come near to any of my holy things in the most holy place. But they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. But I will make them keepers of the charge of the house for all the service thereof and for all that shall be done therein. Look at it for just a moment. And there's, a, there's an application for us today in this. What God is telling Ezekiel is this. He said some of the priests 
have stepped outside of their loyalty to me and have actually committed spiritual adultery in that they served other idols. He said, now they can get right. And they can repent. He said, but there's some things they're not going to be able to do. Did you catch that? He said, they can, uh, they can they be keepers of the house. They can be uh, the, the, the doorkeepers. But, but enter into my presence. And the Holy, no, I'm sorry. Now, there's, a, there's an application for that. Galatians 6 says that, um, uh, uh, my brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness. We are in the business of reconciling men to God. We're in the business of restoring a fallen brother, a fallen sister in Christ. But let me tell you something, my dear friend. Sometimes we as God's people, when we backslide on God, when we get away from God, we go off in the world for a while. Here's what we want. We want restored. We want our reputation restored. We want our position restored. We want our good name restored. And what we need to do is we need our heart restored unto God. Amen. Listen, I, too, too many of God's people say, well, I tell you what, I, I can't do anything for God. Everybody's holding me back. I, I, everybody's uh, uh, got me in shackles. Let me tell you something, my dear friend. I, I do think there's some, there's some, there's some things that, uh, uh, as I understand the New Testament and the writings of Titus and Paul to Timothy and to Titus, and he gives some qualifications for the pastor, gives some qualifications for the deacons. I do think that, uh, that biblically, a, a deacon and a pastor can forfeit his right uh, uh, to, to be the shepherd of the church and to serve in that office. But can I tell you something? That doesn't mean you can't win souls. That doesn't mean you can't teach a Sunday school class. That don't mean you can't go to a mission field perhaps and help win some folks to Christ. Listen, sometimes we get the idea that everybody's holding me back. Listen, you walk with God and get God's power and blessing on your life and nobody's going to hold you back. But at the same time, we need to be loyal to Scripture. And we understand the importance of this office that God has given to his New Testament church. Amen. We go down to verse number 15. And we read here now of some of the priestly privileges. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok. These, look at me. These sons of Zadok had not committed idolatry. These were the loyal ones. These are the ones who stayed faithful. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall, look at it, come near to me, to minister unto me. And they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and the blood, saith the Lord God. They shall enter into my sanctuary and they shall come near to my table to minister unto me and they shall keep my charge. Here the Bible describes priestly privileges for those who stayed true while others went astray. He talks about fellowship privileges in verse 15, the end of verse 15. They'll come near to me. Ministry opportunities, they'll minister unto me. Verse number 16, they shall enter into my sanctuary. That's exclusive access. At the end of verse 16, they shall keep my charge. I think that's an allusion to authority that God will give them. And they're given jobs to judge uh, uh, a controversy later on in the chapter. I'm saying, listen, what I'm saying is this. Is these, these sons of Zadok, look folks, they got to enjoy some things others didn't. If I understand my Bible correctly, these folks, uh, there's, there's some that went into idolatry and God said, you can, you can still serve. There's something you can do. 
But, but these sons of Zadok, there's some special privileges. There's some special privileges. Stay with me, verse number 17. And it shall come to pass that when they enter in at the gates of the inner court. Now we, now we talk about some priestly expectations. Watch how, watch how, look, look at me just a minute. I want you to see how nitpicky God gets. <laughs> people, sometimes you, you try to preach and teach separation and people want to minimize it. But I, I understand this. So I understand, I understand the, the immediate context. Okay? But I want to make some practical application tonight. God, very definitely, we read that some of his servants had, 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 had reserved themselves unto God and as a result, God gave them some special privileges. Now, we read in verse number 17, and it shall come to pass that when they enter in at the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments, and no wool shall come upon them whilst they minister in the gates of the inner court and within. They shall have linen bonnets upon their heads, and shall have linen breeches upon their loins. They shall not gird themselves with anything that causeth sweat. And when they go forth into the utter court, even into the utter court to the people, they shall put off their garments wherein they ministered, and lay them in the holy chambers, and they shall put on other garments, and they shall not sanctify the people with their garments. You know what God is doing? <laughs> God is telling his priests what to wear. He's telling them what fabric to use and what fabric not to use. He gets down to verse number 20, tells them how to wear their hair. Neither shall they shave their heads, nor suffer or allow their locks to grow long. There's a New Testament counterpart for that. It's a shame for men to have long hair. Nor suffer their locks to grow long. They shall only pull uh, their heads, cut their hair, uh, if you will. Uh, uh, verse number 21, Neither shall any priest drink wine when they enter into the court, the inner court. Neither shall they take for their wives a widow, nor, uh, nor her that is put away, but they shall take maidens of the seed of the house of Israel or a widow that had a priest before, and they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Now, folks, look at me. The message tonight, don't miss the title of the message tonight. We're talking about uh, uh, priestly privileges and expectations. In this passage that we just read, God told his priests what they could wear, what fabric to use, what fabric not to use. He told them how to wear their hair. He told them to refrain from wine. And he even told them whom they were allowed to consider for marriage and whom they could not consider. They had to marry well. Listen, I'm not trying to take these specifics and, and, and give them to, the, to, to us tonight as a New Testament church. I'm just simply saying that God had a group of people who remained faithful and loyal and set apart unto himself. And he said, there's some special privileges that you will enjoy that others don't get, but I expect some things from you as well. We get down to verse number 24, and in controversy, a matter of, uh, a civil matter, if you will, uh, uh, two people in an argument, in a, in, a, in a case, and in controversy, they shall stand in judgment. They're decision makers. They shall judge it according to my judgments, and they shall keep my laws and my statutes and all mine assemblies, and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. 
Here's some more expectations. They shall come at no dead person to devour themselves. But for father or for mother or for son or for daughter, for brother or for sister that hath no husband, they may defile themselves outside of immediate family. They were not to handle any uh, dead body. And after his cleanse, they shall reckon unto him seven days. Get to verse 27. And in the day that he goeth into the sanctuary, unto the inner court to minister in the sanctuary, he shall offer his sin offering. Let me give you a lesson right there. What he's saying is this. My servants must themselves be right with me. They shall offer his he shall offer his sin offering, saith the Lord God. Before he could plead on behalf of God's people, he had to plead for himself. He had to come and make sure his own heart was right with God. And uh, that was an expectation. Let me give you some lessons tonight. God expects more of his priests. And guess what? He has a right to. <laughs> he has a right to. Let, let, let's just say, my dear friend... I believe that part of the great falling away that comes before the return of Christ is what we see happening in Christianity, what we see happening in our churches, where the church is becoming more worldly. The world, in many regards, is becoming more churchy, but the church is becoming more worldly. May I say, dear friend, God had expectations on his preaching. So that seems a little under, that seems a little, a little, a little, a little stiff to tell somebody what kind of, what kind of uh, fabric they can wear in their clothes. I don't know why God did all these things. I just know that he did. I just know that he did. And I know that these that he had uh, invited to special privileges and special place of service, he said, I have expectations upon you, uh, that, that uh, things that I expect of you, and, uh, and you will enjoy special privileges. I think about uh, what uh, uh, King Lemuel's mother said to him. I, I think, I, I personally believe that was Bathsheba talking to Solomon in, in Proverbs and in, in chapter number 31. Where she says to him, she says, son, uh, it is not for kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Uh, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Uh, uh, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Listen, listen, young people, listen. The devil's going to come to you sooner or later, and the devil's going to say, well, how come you can't? How come you can't watch this? How come you can't listen to this? How come you can't go here? How can you, come you can't go there? All the other kids are doing that. They're watching this. They're listening to this. They're going there. Oh, listen to me, my dear friend. There is something special about a life that's completely and wholly dedicated and consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ that says, I don't want anything to do with the world. I don't want to be sold out, lock, stock, and barrel for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the principle that's laid in this chapter for priests of old still applies to you and I that to be separated from the world means to be separated unto God. And if you want something special with God, then you're going to have to cut ties with the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God expects more of his priests and he has a right to do so. God wants his servants to live above reproach. We learn from these verses that we read that God wants our decorum and our adornment even to reflect the dignity of our office. These priests had special clothing, special fabrics that they wore when they went into the presence of God. May I say again, dear friend, in the New Testament repeatedly, God calls us kings and priests and God calls us out of the world and unto himself. And may I say, the God who expected the priests to enjoy the privileges 
of divine fellowship and, and, and closeness to God and being in God's presence has the same right tonight to expect of us to come out from among them and be separate as thus saith the Lord. God has a right for us to dress differently. God expects us to dress differently. You listen to me. I, I listen. I, I, God expects us to walk differently. He expects our behavior, our decorum, our speech, our language. Our, he expects us to be different from the world. And he's a right to do so. God wants his servants to be visible examples of what we purport to teach. Look at verse number 23. And they shall teach my people. They, these set-apart priests, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. He said, here's what I want. He said, I want a clear difference. I want a clear difference. This man right here for these 25 years has heard it over and again. That man right there has heard it over and again. Many of our uh, youth workers and staff, my dear wife, myself, have heard it over and again through the years. Take a group of young people somewhere to a restaurant, uh, 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 to some activity, and sure enough, we got a, we got a letter. Uh, we got a letter from, uh, yeah, I think I put it in the bulletin maybe. I'm not sure if we did or yet. It's in the bulletin. We got a letter uh, in the bulletin. We, we went over and, and got um, some of our kids together, went on a bowling activity. I don't know, 15, 20 of us, something like that. And, uh, and a few weeks later, we got a message, got an email back. And I and just I, I, I just want to say uh, I, I was at this bowling alley at the bowling lane at this day and I saw a group of young people and I saw the way they treated each other I saw their attitude toward one another they pulled for each other I saw the way they behaved and the way they looked and the way they were dressed and I saw that they weren't ashamed to talk to others about the Lord Jesus Christ and something swelled up in my heart and said Whoa! glory to God Amen thank God listen there is still a biblical doctrine of separation from the world there's still a biblical Biblical doctrine that says when we get saved, we're new creatures in Christ. There's still biblical symbolism in that baptistry, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, to walk in newness of life, out with the old, in with the new, amen. Old language, new language, old music, new music, old set of friends, new set of friends, old heavens, new heavens. That's a Bible doctrine from cover to cover, my dear friend. And God expects that of his children, and God has a right to expect that of us. It's in vogue. It's popular to try to have church without looking like church. To be Christian without looking like a Christian. It's almost as though we're trying our best to go out of our houses and go out of our church and walk down the streets so the world can look at us and scratch your head and say, I think that might be a Christian. I'm just not sure. One of our preacher buddies up in New England State is it a meme? Is that what you call it? It's a meme. It's a picture. I don't know what a meme is. Anyway, send me a picture. Don't, word, don't use words you don't know what they mean. Amen. <laughs> send me a picture. And uh, Brother Stacy Shiflet sent a picture out. And he had a picture uh, of, the, uh, of the, uh, the NFL announcers, Sunday football NFL announcers, in their suits and ties, Sharp announcers, they're going to they're announce the games. And then had about five preachers. One with cornrows down here, knees out in their jeans, skinny pants. God help any man 
I don't care if you're a preacher or not. Anyway. And, and, he, and, and he wrote, the caption wrote, this is, not, this is not verbatim, but the caption wrote was, is, uh, this, is, uh, this is how the world dresses when they worship their God. And these are those who say they represent God and it's how they go to, go to worship their God. That's powerful. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't, I don't think we have to wear linen and wool anymore. I'm not trying to get into specific. I'm trying to teach you a principle. And the more you embrace this principle, the less you're going to be like the world. And the more you're going to want to be like Jesus Christ. God wants our decorum, our adornment, to reflect the dignity of who we are in Christ. Not because we're better. Listen, we're not, we're, we are sinners. In our verse, over here in verse number 27, he told those priests, he said, you better make sure you come into my presence that you're right with me. You need, to, you need your sin offering, sir. And you and I, my dear friend, listen, we need to be on our face every day and confessing our sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Listen, you and I know, we know, we know we're just sinners saved by grace. Amen. We, we're nobodies. Uh, we, we, we are nothing. Christ is everything. And we rip, but we represent him. We represent him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about a position or title. But it is the fact that we are his priests now in this world. We are kings and priests, my dear friend. And we ought to walk around like it. We ought to behave like it. Dress like it. Walk like it. Talk like it. God wants his servants to be visible examples of what they teach. Now look. Verse number 28. For these that Put the right cloth on. These who wear their hair the way they're supposed to wear their hair. These who marry well. These who don't go into idolatry. These who discern between the holy and the profane and the unclean and the clean. These who offer their sin offering. Verse 28. And it shall be unto them for an inheritance. Look at it. I and their inheritance. And ye shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. He said, what do we get for all this? Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord. Let it be. Now to close, you have the New Testament passage marked in 2 Corinthians 6. Lest anyone dismiss the Old Testament text. Let's read it in the New. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Listen, those of you that have been saved, look at it for just a moment. Those of you that have been saved, the more you live under Christ, the less and less you'll fit in in the old crowd. That's all right. Jesus Christ, the Bible said, went outside the gate. And you can go out there and be with him. Amen. He wasn't popular in his day. He said, while he was on this earth, he said, they hate me, they're going to hate you. Verse number 15, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? 
or Satan, if you will, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? These are all understood questions. No, 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 none, none, none. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Look at me. Our t- the temple that we read about there in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. Incredible temple. Now then in the New Testament, uh, there's, there's no physical temple that we visit. But 1 Corinthians and elsewhere, the Bible teaches that our bodies, as this passage is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God in you, not your own. You're bought with a price. Listen, when I got saved, as we spoke this morning, uh, God, the Holy Spirit uh, came into me and uh, he's given us the spirit of his son into our hearts and we're sealed to the day of redemption. And now my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me say anything tonight. The temple ought to be respected. It ought to be treated with dignity. In Leviticus, the Bible says you don't mark your body up. You notice, do you know where the Bible talks about nose rings? You know what it talks about nose rings in the Bible? It says they belong in a pig snout. I'm not trying to disrespect people. I'm trying to expose how the devil is trying to disrespect you, friend. I never thought medical staff would stoop to that. And I don't really want somebody handing me my sandwich. All right, I'm distracted now. But the, the New Testament principle is simple. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen? This is just a building. And I thank God for this building and God's people sacrifice and God's good to us. So let's have his place to meet. But you'd be steamed, you'd be steamed if you walked in here next Sunday morning and somebody had written, uh, uh, you know, I love mom on the wall with a spray can. I got news for you, my dear friend. This is not a holy building, but it is set apart for preaching. So it's a special place. But it's not the temple of the Holy Ghost. God, the Holy Ghost that live in here. How many of you saved? Say amen. Your body. Is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So don't paint your body up. Don't put a pig's brain in your nose. Verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17. Wherefore? ties what's getting ready to be said to what has just been said. This is the application of what we've been talking about because your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost because Christ and Belial don't get along and because believers and infidels don't get along and there's no agreement with the temple of God with idols because of all that. Wherefore, come out from among them. Get out of that crowd and be ye separate. Separate yourself saith the Lord and touch not. Don't touch. Touch not the unclean thing. Oh, here it is. Here's the privilege. And I will receive you. And will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters. Saith the Lord Almighty. That's not a doctrinal statement about salvation. That is fellowship. 
That's fellowship. Calvin, you ever look at your little boy? Say, that's my boy. That's my boy. And then sometimes you look at your wife and say, go get your son. <laughs> that's 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. I'd like to think God in heaven looked down and said, that's my boy. I know he's my heavenly father. He's not talking about my, my position in Christ. But it's talking about my fellowship with Christ. Why in the world would I want to look at anything, listen to anything, go anywhere, do anything, say anything that would cool my fellowship with Christ? Church, listen to me. The doctrine of separation is a biblical doctrine. Out with the old, in with the new. That's the expectation. But the privilege is sweet, sweet fellowship with our Lord and Savior. Shall we stand? Father, help us now to take.